0: Hello, I'm Marvin Fant, and this is FantLine, where we're not afraid to speak truth, and it doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal, Democrat or Republican, because right always trumps over wrong. Enough said. Oh, we got a good one for you today. I'm Marvin Fant, and this is Fantline. And today we present Fred Price. And it's titled, Reparations, Not Us, But Yet to Everyone Else. Now, for years and years, we as Black Americans have fought for reparations. Going back to the end of slavery, when we were promised 40 acres and a mule, 40 acres and a mule, well, we're still looking for that 40 acres and a mule. And Dr. Price hits on this, whereas he mentions and explains how Basically, every other ethnicity has been given reparations in some form or fashion, whether it be land or whether it be money. But we, as black Americans, have yet to receive. Here's Dr. Price.
1: Now, last time I left off with several scriptures and uh, I want to go back and pick up there so we have continuity. I asked the question: what are we going to do about this superior and inferior lie that has been hatched in this nation about blacks and about whites? What are we going to do about it? In the face, I'm talking primarily to Christians, in the face of what the Bible says about the subject, in the sense of relating to each other. Now, turning your Bible to first Samuel. Chapter 16. These were the last scriptures that I dealt with as we close, but I want to go back for the sake of continuity. And I want you to see these things because this is the crux. By the way, I'm teaching on the subject of race, religion, and racism. I'm right now in the segment of the threefold series called racism. And we're dealing with some things that have to do with racism in America, and primarily in, in, in the church. That's what I'm dealing with is the church, okay? And, uh, but yet I know that society is made up of Christians, and they are the ones that they work in banks. They're presidents of banks. They work in jobs. They're managers of company, They're owners of companies, owners of businesses. So how they act towards people, if they are Christian, then their actions should line up with what the word of God declares. Therefore, they cannot be discriminatory uh, From an ethnic point of view because God is not and if you claim to know God and have God's Spirit in you Then you can't have an attitude that would be contrary to the Spirit of God So either you are not saved and think you are Or you're disobedient to God's Word now in first Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 says but the lord said to samuel do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because i have refused him for the lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but the lord looks at the heart so you can see from this that something's been wrong in this nation in the church ever since day one because the church has not followed God's lead. I'm sorry to have to say it, but as I have already pointed out in earlier lessons, judgment must begin at the house of God. And if we have God's spirit in us, then somewhere along the line, we ought to let God's spirit influence how we act and react towards other people. God does not look at the outward appearance, but the church does. I'm sorry to say the church does, and primarily the white church. Or the white part of the church. I know it's not everybody. i said that before. I'll continue to say it. So don't take personal offense unless you're guilty. You're not guilty. Just shine it on. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about somebody, and it's a fact. Amen. I was in a denomination, I won't mention which one, because I was in several over a 17-year period. They were here in Los Angeles, they had churches in the city, and as the population, the demographics changed, and blacks moved in, these churches moved out. And they're great, they're a great missionary organization. They send folk to the far corners of the world to minister the gospel. But these black heathens that's moving into the community, they're not worth saving. They don't need the gospel. They don't need the white gospel. But the Africans, they need the white gospel. The people down in the jungles of the Amazon jungle, they need white missionaries to come down there and tell them about Jesus. But these black animals, these these, these apes that we talked about earlier in one of our other lessons, they move into the city and the, the whites move out. The white church, white church moved out. But they'll go across the world to plan a mission station, something's wrong. They're not doing what God says. They're not looking at the heart. They're looking at the outward appearance. All right, let's look at First Timothy chapter five. I gave you several of these scriptures, but I'm only using a couple of them. A couple of the ones that I used last time, just to because I when I get ready to go to the next phase of this, it's gonna be it's gonna hit hard. So I want you to be tuned up for this. First, first Timothy. All right, first Timothy chapter five, verse twenty-one. It says, "I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ." This is the Apostle Paul speaking and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. The church in America should be sent to prison for life. They ought to have six life sentences running concurrently. Because they have violated God's Word. They do things by partiality. And they're gonna have to answer to God. Those in the church that are guilty. I didn't call any names. Now listen to this. Many Christians get righteously indignant about abortion. So much so, That they are willing to go to the streets in protest. But they refuse to confront the racism right in their own churches. That is the epitome of hypocrisy. There should be. Listen to this. There should be a nationwide and constant outcry against the sin of racism just as we publicly protest against the sin of abortion doesn't that tell you something's wrong come on these white folks that get out here don't take it personally now but you know i'm telling the truth you know me i'm a straight shooter i know it hurts but it hurts when the doctor sticks a needle in my arm. Every time my doctor sticks a doggone needle in me. I can't stand needles. I hate needles. But I know that the stuff that's in that syringe got to go through that needle needle, to get into my vein to do me the good. As much as I hate the needle and as much as I hate the needle prick and I don't care what they do, it still hurts. They do all kind of jigamajus to try to... It still hurts. But the medicine... Well, help me and I'm giving you medicine, uncoated, no chocolate flavor, no raspberry coating. This is the real stuff, but it'll help the church. White folks will walk up and down and protest abortion. I mean, get loud and ugly on the street about it. When have you seen anyone, white people carrying placards out there protesting racism and racial prejudice, forget about society in the church, protesting about it in the church. Let's go to John chapter five. Let's get spiritual for a minute here. Get off of this reality stuff. But if you think about it, I mean, boy, something is so wrong. Values are, something is so wrong about the church. When did the church go to the streets and protest slavery? (laughs) Whoop, that (laughs) is. I know it's old, but it fits. Okay, first John 5, first epistle of John chapter 5 and verse 17. This is what I want you to get. <laughs> Be sure I got the right one in there. First John Five and 17. Yeah, all. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, don't read that. Look up, look up, look, look, look up. Look, don't don't read that. Don't don't anybody read that. I need to skip that verse. No, no, no! Don't don't read it. I'm telling you, don't look down. Don't read that verse. Well, maybe on second thought, I better read it. All how much? Unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. But that first part of the verse is what I want you to get. All unrighteousness is sin. Racism is a sin. Racial, ethnic, and color prejudice is a sin. So if you practice it, you are in sin. Right in the Bible, here it is. All unrighteousness, all of it, is sin. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, I want you to go there. I touched on this at, at another time. In the series, but I want you to uh, go there and you'll get a better understanding of of what I'm about, what I'm doing, because I want you to, I want you to, to understand because I know, I know I'm hitting hard, but I was, I was instructed by God to do it this way. Okay. This is, this is the way I'm, I'm led to go. See, Galatians chapter 2. All right, you got it? All right, now look at this verse 11. It says, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now, this is the apostle Paul speaking. Verse 12, for before men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles, And not as the Jews. Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Now here's the point I want to get to. Paul called Peter on the carpet publicly. Now, why do you suppose he would do that? Simply because Peter's prejudicial actions were done publicly and that's where they should be called on the carpet publicly see some folks not they don't and i know some of you you don't like this you don't like what i'm doing but see everything i'm doing i'm doing according to the bible see i'm doing this publicly because that's where this stuff's been practiced publicly talked about privately planned privately but executed publicly and in the public arena, that's where it must be challenged. Okay, now, listen to this. No, oh, I don't know if you're ready for this, but listen to this. This this is. <clears throat> in a magazine entitled Creating Racism Psychiatry's Betrayal, published by Citizens Commission on Human Rights, copyright cchr 1995 from an article on page four through seven and i'm going to pull some things out of those pages the subtitle of the article is how i'll get this now how psychiatry lit the racial fires that's awesome how psychiatry lit the racial fires. Quote, the term eugenics was first coined by Francis Galton in 1869 in his book, Hereditary Genius. In summary, the theory of eugenics posed that defective persons procreated more rapidly and bred more readily than normal. The result being, that society was flooded with inferior and unproductive people. In 1870, psychologist Herbert Spencer took Galton's theme further by coining the term survival of the fittest, a phrase frequently and incorrectly attributed to Charles Darwin. Spencer believed many people were unfit and unworthy only of a quick death while selective breeding of the fittest could bring about a superior race. End of quote. Quoting again, director, oh Lord, Jesus director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute of Anthropology, human heredity and eugenics in Berlin, psychiatrist, Eugene Fisher urged the annihilation of negro children fisher theorized that blacks were devoid of value and useless for employment other than for manual crafts end of quote quoting again in 1939 fisher lectured students saying Nine, 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 nine. get this in 1939 Fisher lectured students saying I quote I do not characterize every Jew as inferior as Negroes are you get that I will quote that again. In 1939, Fisher lectured students saying, and I quote, I do not characterize every Jew as inferior. In other words, in his opinion, some Jews were inferior, some weren't. But Negroes, all of them are inferior. Not some of them, all of them. Margaret Sanger, a eugenicist and the founder of Planned Parenthood of America argued in 1939 for plans to stop the growth of black babies in the United States. To cover up her plans to exterminate the Negro population, she suggested that black ministers be hired to preach throughout the South that sterilization was a solution to poverty. The common thread to psychiatry's scientific justification for sterilization, brutal surgery and other human rights violations was that IQ regulated behavior and status by the 1920s, this was absolute dogma. IQ was congenital. Inherited and thus unchanging. In this way, the systematic social crippling of certain races could be carried out, if not by violent psychiatric treatments, then by denying them proper education, sounds familiar, employment, and other cultural advantages. Around the oh, night now. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah 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 yeah. Around the same period, a prominent expert in IQ testing, psychologist Lewis Terman, used his test to claim that children of the poor could never be educated, and that Mexicans, Indians, and Blacks should never be allowed to reproduce." End of quote. The tendency of those who find it difficult to face such evil is to think that since those days we have entered more enlightened times. Unfortunately, this is just wishful thinking. In 1958, Audrey Shuey, author of the book, Psychology and Life wrote that IQ test scores inevitably point to the presence of native genetic differences between Negroes and whites. And this proposition has been spread even as recently as 1994 with Murray and Hirstein's book, The Bell Curve, claiming that African-Americans do worse than whites in intelligent tests, are genetically disabled, and therefore cannot cope with the demands of contemporary American society." End of quote. Superiority, inferiority, the same old story, and you thought it was dead. In this same magazine under the subheading (laughs) under the sub sub uh, under the subheading psychiatric oppression of african americans we find another interesting bit of scientific sleight of hand on page eight it says quote when africans were torn from their families and homes and sold into slavery in the united states science stood ready to define any disobedience or insubordination by them as a mental illness. So y'all didn't know you were mentally ill. As early as 1851, Samuel A. Cartwright, a prominent Louisiana physician published an essay entitled, Report on the Diseases and physical peculiarities of the Negro race. In the New Orleans and surgical journal, Cartwright claimed to have discovered two mental diseases peculiar to blacks, which he believed justified their enslavement. These were called, now, I may not pronounce this correctly, so some of you astute linguists, don't jump on me. I'm doing the best I can, okay? All right? I mean, after all, I'm mentally ill, so what do you expect? (laughs) What do you expect? I think I'm doing pretty good for mentally ill, don't you? I think I'm doing pretty good for somebody mentally ill. <laughs> All right, listen now. These were called, now the, the two mental diseases that this Mr. Cartwright came up with. These were called drapitomania and diesthesia aothopus. The first term came from drapetes, a runaway slave, and mania, meaning mad or crazy. Cartwright claimed that this disease caused blacks to have an uncontrollable urge to run away from their masters. (laughs) All this stuff is documented. the reason why I wanted I want to quote it so you don't just think I'm coming up with something trying to get on people this stuff is written down in black and white now watch this now oh it gets better Cartwright claimed that this disease caused black to have an uncontrollable urge to run away from their slave masters the treatment for this illness was whipping the devil out of them Dice Ephesia, supposedly affected both mind and body. Much scientific and statistical rhetoric was used to justify slavery. One 1840 census proved that blacks living under... Now, be sure your seatbelts are on. This is the nation we live in. Our present is the result of our past. The thinking, all those things have been influenced by the past. Listen to this. Much scientific and statistical rhetoric was used to justify slavery. One 1840 census proved that blacks living under unnatural conditions of freedom. Listen to this now. That blacks living under unnatural conditions of freedom in the North were more prone to insanity. Dr. Edward Jarvis, a specialist in mental disorders, used this to conclude that slavery shielded blacks from some of the liabilities and dangers of active self-direction. See, this is how you have been looked at. The census was later found to be a racist facade in that many of the northern towns credited with mentally deranged blacks had no black inhabitants at all. In 17, now, this one, you educated folk, you college graduates, you psychologists and psychiatrists and sociologists, listen to this. Love y'all, but listen. Wanna get your attention, cause this gonna blow your boat Not out of the water, off the planet. You're gonna be in orbit. In 1797, the father of American psychiatry, Dr. Benjamin Rush, whose faith today, still adorns, adorns, The seal of the American Psychiatric Association declared that the color of blacks was caused by a rare congenital disease called negritize. It would be funny if it wasn't so sick. <laughs> it, it would be funny if it wasn't so sick. And I apologize, I mispronounced the word. It's nigritude. Congenital disease. Your color is caused by a disease. And it derives from leprosy. Now watch this. Rush said that the only evidence of a cure was when the skin color turned white. Using disease as the reason for segregation, Rush drew the conclusion that whites should not tyrannize over blacks for their disease should entitle them to a double portion of humanity. However, by the same token, whites should not intermarry with them for this would tend to infect posterity with the disorder. Attempts, must be made to cure the disease. Whoop, it is. <laughs> you black folk didn't know your skin color was a disease. You didn't know that, did you? Well, thank God. Watch this. Watch this. Thank God we have a God who believes in divine healing. And so he believes in the healing of disease. So black, come off of him in the name of Jesus. Come out, black in Jesus' name. Be healed in the name of Jesus. I guess you don't have no faith, my brother. You're still, a, you're still the same color. He's hoping and praying. Woo, I wonder when they're going to find a cure for it. Based on this assumption, everyone who is not white must have this disease to varying degrees. The black man's skin color is a disease. That's the best I've heard yet. If you think this is bad, let me give you another little tidbit of historical information that will definitely straighten your curly hair. Did you know that when the Constitution of the United States was originally drafted, black people were not even considered a whole person. Reading from the constitution of the United States under article one, section two, number three, it says representatives and direct taxes. Now this was altered by the 14th amendment way down from the original, but I'm talking about in the original Okay, when it was first drafted. I want you to understand that. It doesn't say that today, but that's how it started. Okay, it says representatives and direct taxes, altered by the 16th Amendment, shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. That's talking about you black folk. You were considered as three-fifths of a person. By your founding fathers. I don't need no father like that. I'd rather be an illegitimate child. Now, this has been altered by the 14th Amendment, so it doesn't read like that today. I'm, I'm, talk- I'm going back to the beginning, okay? I'm, I want you to see how it started because the beginning is what fostered all the other things, see? There, there have been some changes made. The only reason they made the change is because it was protest. If nobody had protested, the things would have stayed as they were, and that meant then that was their original intent. All right. That's how we were thought of at the time of the drafting of the Constitution, three fifths of a person. That means that in the eyes of those who performed this, uh, formed this country, black people had very little value as persons. That is a low blow. And even though that part of the Constitution was amended, how many people after that and even down to this present time still think that blacks have very little value? Not everybody, we know that. I said that 15,000 times, I'll say it again. So don't get personal on me. Devastating damage has been done to the black psyche through the years of slavery and Jim Crowism. It needs to be fixed. Now, listen to this. In the Emerge Magazine, February 1997 issue, on page 44, 45, 45, 48 and 49. I'm going to just pull these things out and read them all together, okay? There is a right there is a right-on article entitled Writing a Wrong by Laurie Robinson. The article is extremely thought-provoking. I quote, Americans have difficulty dealing with the crime of slavery so much so that much of what is generated now in terms of the conservative atmosphere is undergirded by people who want to forget the past, who want to overthrow the responsibility for the past, who want to deny that legacy and its consequences." End of quote. Walter, this is in the same article, Walters says, this person is Ronald Walters, University of Maryland political scientist walter says quote there is a direct line in terms of the consequences many black people still suffer in america today because of slavery end of quote that reparations is attracting more attention comes as no surprise to some this is the writer of the article she quoted some things that others had said and then she went on with her own storyline okay that reparations is attracting more attention comes as no surprise to some african-american leaders for African Americans, the need is obvious. Now, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this name because I know I'll mess this up. I don't have any idea how this is pronounced, so I want to be I want to be give deference to the person. Uh, the name is A I Y E T O R O. Says, and this person's name is A D J O A A I Y E T O R O. Is director of the National Conference of Black Lawyers. Quote, the purpose of reparations is to repair a people for a significant harm that was done to them and particularly done to them by a government. End of quote. She says, apparently this is a lady, she says one of the issues, quoting, one of the issues that we deal with every day is that the vestiges of our enslavement And post-enslavement treatment in this country has been such that it has beat us down as a people in so many ways. Part of standing tall as a people is to say, you owe me for what you did and you need to pay. End of quote. Robert L. Woodson, Sr., the conservative founder and president of the nonprofit Washington, D.C.-based National Center for Neighborhood Enterprise, couldn't disagree more. Quoting him, it's a waste of time and energy to be talking about reparations for something that happened so long ago, end of quote. He goes on to say, quote, why aren't we concentrating on going after sources of funds that represent our own money, end of quote. The author of the article goes on to say, but one reason many African-Americans haven't forgotten about the promise of 40 acres and a mule is that so many other people are collecting for past wrongs. Now, I'm getting ready to read something. You got your air sick bags with you? Do you have your air sick bags with you? This is sick! On January 12, 1865, three months before the Civil War officially ended, Union General William Sherman and Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton met with 20 black ministers in a Savannah, Georgia church. The ministers told them that freed blacks needed land to sustain themselves. Sherman then produced a document dated January 16, 1865, which designated land for African Americans. According to his special field order number 15, I quote, the islands from Charleston South The abandoned rice fields along the river for 30 miles back from the sea and the country bordering the St. John's Rivers, Florida, are reserved and set apart for the settlement of the Negroes now made free by the acts of war and the proclamation of the president of the United States. End of quote. Of the four million newly freed blacks, about 40,000 would settle there. Assuming they could become permanent owners. The original Freedmen's Bureau Act, passed by Congress on March 3rd, 1865, granted land, quote, to every male citizen, whether refugee or freedman. As aforesaid, there shall be assigned not more than 40 acres. Of such land and the person to whom it was so assigned shall be protected in the use and enjoyment of the land for the term of three years at any annual rent, not exceeding six per centum upon the value of such land. At the end of said term or at any time during said term, the occupants of any parcels so assigned may purchase the land. End of quote. The following month, five days after the Confederacy surrender, President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. His successor, Andrew Johnson, vetoed and amended Freeman's Bureau Act in February 1866, which still call for 40 acres for loyal refugees and freedmen but change the terms of the bureau's commissioner of the bureau change the term so the bureau's commissioner could determine the cost of rent and returning whites could repossess their black occupied land the bureau act Freedman's bureau act that finally became law in july 1866 made no mention of 40 acres. To the contrary, it called, get this now, it called for restoring land about 850,000 acres of abandoned and confiscated real estate to former white owners, many of whom had been accused of being traitors to the union and were pardoned by President Johnson. End of quote. This is history. But they didn't teach you this in school. Oh no, they didn't teach you this. The writer of the article goes, I don't think black people really understand reparations, says David H. Swinton, a Harvard trained economist and president of historically black Benedict college in Columbia, South Carolina quote, they think it's somehow, they think it's somehow radical and un-American end of quote. Nations are paying damages for injuries and wrongdoings with land and money. Making amends Or giving satisfaction for a wrong or injury, as reparations is defined, is a standard practice in international law. The United Nations negotiates it. Some nations even give it without prodding from foreign governments or institutions. Now, listen to this. Yeah, dad, blame it. I am angry. Not at you. Not at you. Not at any person. But this is just unfair. In 1976, Australia gave its indigenous aborigines more than 96,000 square miles of land after having appropriated it during European settlements in the 18th and 19th centuries. Four years later, Canada compensated Japanese Canadians with $230 million for World War II internment and indigenous peoples with 673,000 square kilometers of land after 13 years of negotiations over land treaty claims. In 1995, Austria promised Jewish Holocaust survivors $25 million and about 10,000 people have received payments of $7,000 each so far this year, the year 1997. Iraq, will begin paying $300 million for every $1 billion in oil revenue to victims of the 1990 Kuwait invasion, according to terms arranged by the UN Security Council. Now, there is some truth to those who argue that the modern debate over reparations was spawned during the formation of the State of Israel, says LCCR Henderson declared a state in 1948, six months after the United Nations voted for the partitioning or the partition of Palestine, Israel was forged on 8,020 square miles of land, some of which was occupied. In 1952, Germany began giving reparations to survivors of the Jewish Holocaust. By 1980, the amount totaled $58 billion dollars, in today's dollars. Reparations, in fact, is very American. Since 1971, when indigenous Alaskans received nearly $1 billion and more than 44 million acres of land through the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Ethnic groups who have suffered mistreatment at the hands of the United States government have been demanding reparations and except for African-Americans getting it. Everybody else gets it, but us. Oh, Oh, I hope I got time to get to this. You, You ain't heard nothing. During the 1980s, five Native American nations were paid sums ranging from $12.3 million to $1.1 billion for stolen land and broken treaties. Talk about Indians. Most recently, the Clinton administration attempted unsuccessfully to win reparations from Cuba through the intervention of the UN Security Council for shooting down last February two civilian planes, believed to have violated the nation's airspace. The Japanese American redress movement has become a model for African-American reparations activists. Raymond Jenkins, a Detroit activist known as Reparations Ray says, everybody thought it was a joke for years, thought I was a crackpot. They laughed themselves to death. And when the Japanese got their $20,000 each, then they stopped laughing. The 1988 Civil Liberties Act provided a formal apology and this nation has the unmitigated gall, the audacity to sit in chambers and discuss whether or not they should apologize to black people for raping them for 400 years. <laughs> Listen to this. Now, see, we read it all unrighteousness is sin america is paying heavily for its sin japanese people who lived here in the united states southern california southern california area, they they shipped them out put them in in the internment camps during the second world war with japan after the war was over through negotiations they receive every person $20,000 each and a formal apology. And our government, our nation, is wondering whether or not they're deciding whether or not they should apologize for enslaving blacks in America. Now, think about this. Now, this is what I'm talking about. See, we This, this nation is wrong. I'm sorry. This nation is wrong. Now, watch this. Listen, here's why they're wrong. Here's why they're wrong. They won't even apologize to the best citizens that they've ever had. Now, listen, listen, listen. It wasn't black Africans from Nigeria that flew over Pearl Harbor on December the 7th and declared war on the United States of America. Approximately 3,000 plus Americans were killed by the Japanese on the day of Pearl Harbor when Japan declared war on the United States of America. And then after that... They gave them $20,000 apiece and apology for declaring war on them. And black people have been the most loyal people to the United States. They have never ever declared war on the United States. Never. Listen, 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 listen. We, we have been the most loyal people to this nation than any of the immigrants that ever came here. We have fought in every one of America's war and then got treated like dogs after it. And then the nation has the gall to decide whether or not we should apologize to them. Maybe we ought to declare war on them and then maybe that'll get them to apologize. I mean, right is right, doggone it. Right is right. That's just downright criminal. That's just downright criminal. We have fought in every single war. We have been butchered and destroyed and shot up and come back to this country and couldn't even get a job. Just because we were black. And you say you're going to decide whether you apologize? In God we trust. What God is right where is right justice is not only blind standing on the courthouse of this nation she's brain dead (laughs) and then some black folk got the nerve to talk about we shouldn't talk about reparations we should let it go Poor, simple minded fool. Here, listen. We don't hear me well. And you, FBI and CIA folks, can listen to this. Listen well. (laughs) Listen well. We are not. Watch my lips. We are not asking for anything special. We're just asking you out of the milk of human kindness and Christian love and charity, just treat us like you did the Japanese who declared war on you. Just do that. Just do that. Just do that. We don't want nothing special. Just treat us like those that declared war on you. Black folk have never declared war on you. And you talking about you're gonna sit down and discuss whether you should apologize for 400 years of slavery. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh, oh, oh boy. Yeah, my God, I'm out of time.
0: Thank you for checking out FantLine. Until next time, keep Jesus first and be transformed by the renewing of your minds.